1: You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
0: JBR Capital has sponsored the Intercooler podcast for several months now. You've probably heard me talk about the company before. In that time, I've come to really understand what it is that makes JBR Capital different to other car finance companies. If I had to boil it down to one thing, I'd say it's this. Car finance is all JBR Capital does. Might sound like a minor detail, that, but in fact it's really important. It means JBR Capital has a profound understanding of the car marketplace and of car buyers, an understanding that other finance companies could only hope to have. In fact, that very focused approach is exactly why the company was started in the first place. We recently had Darren Seelig, founder of JBR Capital, on the podcast, episode 106, if you want to go back and listen. And he explained that he started the company when he realised that general finance lenders actually didn't understand cars or car buyers particularly well at all. So he spotted that gap in the market and he founded JBR Capital to fill it. So before you buy your next car... Be it a supercar, sports car, classic car, hypercar, or a luxury car, even if it's a brand new car, go and see what JBR Capital can do for you on the finance side. And it really helps us if you tell them that the Intercooler sent you. JBR Capital is authorised and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority. Welcome to the Intercooler Podcast. Welcome to episode 121 of the podcast everybody Dan Prosser and Andrew Frankel with you here Um, Andrew it's a busy episode but the the sort of bulk of this episode of the podcast is all about 20,000 pound cars my theory being whatever kind of car you want sort of within reason you don't need to spend more than 20k um oh do you can, can we stand that up in any way or is that still too strict a budget do you think
1: <laughs> well, no. I think if you're not if, if you're not being uh, ridiculous about it, no. I think I think there I think there is a type of car from pretty more. Well, we're going to we'll go through the genres, won't we? Um, yeah, yeah. Can you buy okay a sensible supercar which isn't going to bleed you white for twenty k? Probably not.
0: I couldn't. I couldn't come up with anything sort of exotic Italian mid engine Those days are gone, aren't they?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they used to. You used to be able to. Use, I can remember not that long ago you could buy a front engine v12 ferrari for 10 grand it would be an automatic 400 and it'd be appalling and it would cost you yeah. you know the shirt of your back to look after it but you could do it um i don't mm. think i don't think you can anymore um
0: no okay so that stuff is uh, off the table but you know i've been having a trawl through the classifieds i think you've done the same and yeah. it is actually amazing what you can come up with for 20k yeah. now there what's are the, what's the better?
1: you and i've come up with exactly the same cars
0: Probably there'll be some overlap. I'm sure. Um, I mean, of course, there are some realities that we need to have a think about, but we'll come on to those. Um, as I said, there's an awful lot to get through. Let's talk Hungarian Grand Prix briefly, um, mm. and its I not mean, the midway point of the season. Bang my head against a wall. I just <laughs> scuderia I, fanboy.
1: How they had i think they had the quickest car out there i mean george on Paul was unbelievable a massive congratulations to him but yeah. as we know he is mr saturday he can just pull it out of the bag over a lap but i think they had the quickest car they've definitely got um the best driver lineup how did they a how well first of all you know max i mean like him or hate him my goodness he did a good job didn't he uh and, the t- and also that's the other thing is Max won that reason for the exact, reason that, that race, the exact race that Ferrari didn't, which was just teamwork. They just got all the calls right, didn't they? And yeah. I, could, I could just remember when it was in the bag and Charles came into the pits and somebody said, they're putting hard tyres on. Despite the fact that the Alpines had already been out there, proving to the entire world that those tyres just didn't work. And like when Brundle was sort of saying, well, maybe they've got a load more downforce and they'll be able to switch them on and away," way. And, and he didn't sound convinced and, and he was right not to be because, oh, it's so frustrating. Because, I mean, two things. One is, as you know, I love the Ferrari race team and I want to see it winning. But also, Max is 60 points ahead now. 60 points. Eight,
0: it's its 80. 80. Yeah, it's
1: uh, and 80 so, points.
0: And,
1: and, and, the, and the real problem with that is you're going to get to the stage. You may already be there where ferrari just go we better just focus on next year's car there's no point you know in these budget cap days um of just spending all this resource and doing all this stuff fighting a battle that's already lost at which stage you know max runs away from it and it's all done by austin or something and you know having had such a season last year um for this one to be such a damp script, despite the fact it's had so much potential. Ugh. Anyway,
0: <laughs> so what did we say last week um, after the French Grand Prix? We said Charles and Ferrari: not one more slip up, not yeah. one more driving error, not one more strategic blunder, not one more divided team order. Mm. They have to be absolutely on their A game from here to yeah. the final race of the season to stand a chance. Next time out, they just they drop the ball in the most hopeless way, actually. And think about how it was set up after qualifying: Ferrari second and third, and guess what? The Red Bulls were way back, Max in tenth. They Paris had this amazing level. opportunity. Yeah, yeah, they had Ferrari had this amazing opportunity to massively outscore, win the race for one thing, massively outscore their their title rivals, um, and instead the opposite happened. It
1: should have been uh, a Ferrari one two. No doubt. If 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 you'd given <sighs> that if you'd fed all the data into a computer before the yeah. race and on balance of probabilities, presuming nobody stuffs it up, what's gonna happen? It would say uh probably Leclerc wins it, followed by Carlos, and then it would start umming and erring and it'd be one of Max Lewis or George next.
0: Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and so, you know, if that's what they come up with after starting second and third with their title rivals way back, I'm afraid they just don't have it in them this season. I think it's it's well and truly gone.
1: They are Mm. not a team. And I think if this season has proven anything, is that, I said this before on the podcast probably last weekend, um, you have to have, it's not enough, is it, to have, you know, the fastest car out there, which they have. You know, one of the top, certainly top three drivers out there probably two of the top five drivers out there they've got all the raw material but if you keep on i'm about to massively mix my my metaphors here but if you keep on you know sort of overcooking it or putting them together wrong or or whatever it doesn't matter does it Mm. it's not what you've got it's what you do with it
0: yeah I i just don't think they're ready i think this car was competitive a year too soon um and sadly as you've pointed out before the Mercedes is coming on, isn't it? And isn't it? Their, yeah. their I first mean, they've pole. all
1: Mercedes have always gone well at Hungary. True. I mean, Lewis has been freakishly good at, at Hungary, even by his standards. So mm. I'm not reading, you know, if they're that quick at Spa, then mm. yeah, that'll be amazing.
0: So what odds then on Mercedes beating Ferrari to second in the constructors? Now, as, as you say, Ferrari have had a difficult run. Um, Hungary is a bit of a, a circuit with a distinct character um mm. so we mustn't read too much into it but the way the trajectories are looking at the moment it does seem as though there's only 30 points between ferrari and mercedes and
1: that's ridiculous that's absolutely you think of that mercedes at the beginning of the season it looked undrivable, didn't it horrible you know, the, the drivers complaining about spinal compressions it was leaping around like a bloody pogo stick and ferrari had the quickest car out there well arguably certainly you know either the quickest or the next quickest car out there and yet they're 30 points apart so you know drop the ball one more time and mercedes will be second in the constructors that Mm. is at at, at, you know well past the halfway point of the season how have they
0: allowed that to happen just so one last comment on this um on this situation leclerc's last eight results okay so starting with the spanish grand prix and this is the bloke who's supposed to be in contention for the drivers world championship he is still second so from Spain DNF fourth DNF fifth fourth first Austria DNF sixth that is not a title running (laughs) title winning run is it nor even close nor even close no I think it I think it's I think it's well and truly gone now which is a shame but there we go I mean Red Bull and Max have been pretty imperious haven't they so there we go
1: um well what red bull and max are doing they have now started to do what mercedes have been so good at doing in the past um which is to win races they shouldn't be winning Mm. um and to you know obviously deploy max to the best and everything else but also you know max can't do it on his own um and you know he didn't get fastest lap you know he probably wasn't the fastest car out there yesterday but they just They just got it together. They work so well as a team, which is what Mercedes has always done. Um, And you get what you get. And if you don't do that, as Ferrari found out, you get what you get there too.
0: Do you think George Russell is wondering how he finished behind Lewis, having started on pole? Lewis back in seventh.
1: I think Lewis was on a back... I mean, I don't think that... I mean, there was was a stint, wasn't there, when Lewis was just flying. Uh, in the middle of the race. And he got fastest lap. Um, they were on different strategies. Um, uh, maybe. But I think, I, th- I, think there's, I think there's enough doubt in there. In terms of the different strategies. For George to be able to rationalise it. In terms of Lewis got the better rub of the green. On that particular occasion. if it keeps on happening. Um, then yeah he will worry. But actually if you look at their heads to heads. In terms of either qualifying uh, or race results. Throughout the course of the season. They're pretty even. Yeah. Which, in itself, you know, given that this is Lewis Hamilton we're talking about, you know, an eight-time world champion in a team that has been built up completely around him, um, the fact that George is, you know, even on, you know, level Peggy with him, I think, speaks volumes to the lad. I really do. I think he's fantastic.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it is remarkable. We'll see how it pans out over the the latter part of the season. Um, we yeah. must also mention Sebastian Vettel, who before the Hungarian Grand Prix rather surprised us all, I think, by announcing his retirement. I was surprised anyway. Um,
1: yeah, I, although, think, I, I, think his team, I think his team were quite
0: surprised too. I think they probably were, yeah. I, yeah. I, 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 I suspect most people assumed he'd give it another year or two to see if he can bring this project to fruition, the Aston Martin project to fruition. But... Instead, he's calling it a day. And, I mean, who can blame him? His his glory days are well behind him now. It's a long old while since he won, or he's been in contention yeah. for a race win. Um, and he's achieved so much. He's earned an awful lot of money. You know, he's raced through different eras of the sport. Nothing left yeah. to prove, perhaps.
1: No, but he's, you know... I, I should have looked this up. I don't know how old he is. You probably do. But he's 35. He's still... 35. He's 35. So he's still you know, some years younger than Lewis. Yeah. Um, and, you know, obviously, I mean, my, my, my worry for him is that people will look at his post-Red Bull performance. Yeah. The fact that he was, um, on at least two occasions, comprehensively outpaced by his younger teammate. And they all go, well, those four World Championships, that was more the Red Bull than its driver. Mm. Um, I don't think that's fair. I think he clearly did have the best car on the track for those four seasons. um, And boy, he made the most of it, didn't he? But um, the moment that was taken away from him, you know, it's kind of, you can see why people sort of, you know, add two and two and conclude that he was, you know, one of the more quadruple world champions. (laughs) Um, I think that in his pomp, he was actually better than that. Um, But I think he's, you know, I think he's just a sensitive bloke. And I think everything had to be right around him um and then you know when it wasn't you know even when you had the best cars you did at times at ferrari um it just didn't go his way did it um more often than not because he dropped the ball um so you know you have to be again it just goes back to being you know you don't just need the complete package as a team you need to be the complete package as, as a driver and if you look at lewis you know what has been absolutely extraordinary about you lewis over all these years is the consistency and it's the way that he is mentally so tough um and all those you know wheel to wheel battles which he had particularly with you know with guys like Rosberg and that sort of thing he always came out on top didn't he yeah uh, and if there was a coming together it was always the other bloke's fault or almost always the other bloke's fault um and that mental resilience is i think the the reason why you know lewis has you know twice as many titles as said. um I'll be sorry to see him go because, I mean, he's also turned into a fantastic sort of elder statesman for the the sport as well, hasn't he? Um, And, you know, he's been quite outspoken, quite rightly so, on a number of important things. Um, And I think that even though he's no longer in a front-running car, I think he qualified like 17th or 18th at the weekend, which is sad to see. Um, I still think he was a great force for good um, within the sport. Um, And I just hope we haven't seen the back of him.
0: Yeah, he's grown into a really likeable character and someone you have to respect enormously um yeah well we'll be sad to see him go but he's achieved so much congratulations on a fantastic career seb he wants to go and spend more time with his family and who can begrudge him that i mean enjoy it um right let's quickly run through some of the brilliant articles that we've been posting if if i may say so on the intercooler website and app um i just want to it's worth talking about some of this stuff because there's been real variety up there. Um, we've got some, had some great contributions from our brilliant team of writers. Um, I, I also,
1: so If I, if I, if, if I could yeah. briefly interrupt. I, th- I think the other reason we're going to talk about this uh, is just that, you know, we want you guys to know about the website. Um, goodness knows, Dan and I and a few others hmm. have spent enough time getting it all together. Um, and, you know, I, I, we hope um, that if you go and check it out, uh, at the-intercooler.com, hyphen um, you'll like it. It's you know, it's not like any other car website. Um, it hasn't you know got pages and pages and pages of the latest crossover hybrid SUV <laughs> things. Um, it's it's just what have we got? You know, it's it's over a thousand stories. It's over a million words from you know, the finest writers in the business across a fantastically wide range of top topics, so easily searchable. And, you know, I sound like I'm doing a massive promo for my own business, which, of course, I am. But, I, you know, genuinely, we are, we are passionate about it. And, you know, people who tune into this, you know, we think, think the same sort of way that we do. Um, and it just might be worth, you know, a minute of your time, just going and have a look. Um, and, you know, you might like what you, like what you see. So indeed I'll shut up now
0: no well said and there's a you'll find a link in the description of this episode um, and if you're new to us you can go and start a free trial one month free trial see if you like it or not um, we think you will and we we think you'll stay with us but go and do that now um, so just some some recent stuff that kind of these two they're both your pieces actually but they demonstrate the breadth um, you drove the Aston martin DbX 707 um, and really rather liked it um and you also well, wrote about for,
1: for, for, i really like rather liked it for a two and a bit tiny suv which i wouldn't say is my favorite genre of car um yeah. but yeah i mean well go read the story but yes it's it, it's you know you think 700 horsepower aston martin suv you think this thing's just going to be what do they call it a brute in a suit and it's just not it's actually it's a quite a subtle very sophisticated um and quietly impressive way of doing that kind of car so yeah
0: it's all mm. there on the app you then wrote about Daytona 67, um, and I, I knew about Daytona 67, but I'd never really thought about the context, and you, you explained it beautifully, you know, Ferrari got mullered at Le Mans by Ford in 1966. As we um, all know from the film. From the film, and you make the point that there is this assumption out there, or an understanding, that that was the end of Ferrari in sports car racing, Ford came and gave them a shoeing and then dominated from there on in. Um, actually it's not the case because the very next time they went head to head it was yeah. Ferrari that gave Ford a shoeing um, yeah and, you
1: can... and, and it was in America so it was it yeah. was on Ford home soil and you know and in many ways no well in many ways in every way what Ferrari did to Ford in America was actually far more impressive than what Ford did to Ferrari um, in France you know two works Ferraris with four litre engines up against six works Fords with seven litre engines um, and they're not only came first and second but one of their customers came third um and only one of the fords finished way down um and pe- i just don't think that people appreciate that um and ferrari mm. went on to win the world sports car championship that year so you know it's just a bit of context isn't it um yeah. but it was you know but you know i always thought that like, when they made that film um ford versus ferrari or Mans 66 depending on when you're where, where you're watching it um that they chose the wrong race um that actually Le Mans 65 was a far more interesting race but a ford didn't win it so you know that's probably the the reason but also daytona 67 was a far more interesting race um with a far with far better with a far better backstory far greater context to it um so yeah i just thought that i'd try and redress the balance a little bit
0: um so sticking up with the motorsport theme we then published a piece by dr otto lappy um, yeah. Now that name may well not be familiar to you, Dr. Otto Lappi. He's a a cognitive scientist, a Finnish cognitive scientist, um, and with Alan Dove, um, he, he's produced a book called um, The Racer's Brain, um, which is all about what goes on inside the mind um, of an elite level racing driver when he or she is in the car. Um, now, this is we wanted to publish this piece because what we want to do with ti is surprise you and publish stuff that you probably wouldn't find in other magazines or websites um we want to do stuff that's a bit different and this is that this this is dr otto Lappi explaining what goes on inside the brain of a racing driver during a qualifying lap and he's a cognitive scientist so he he's an authority on this matter um understands it implicitly but between him and alan dove they explain it in a very relatable way as well so go and check that out it's just an interesting insight into the psychology of a racing driver it's brilliant
1: i mean he's a proper bloke isn't he he's um you know he teaches at helsinki university um he's a very very eminent chap Um, and it just sort of starts sitting in the pit lane and Mm. just what the driver is doing and how he or she manages to block out everything around them um and you know without going into sort of you know deep abstruse biological terms he explains what's going on in the brain and how the brain is functioning and how the brain readies itself for that challenge and then there's the outlap and then there's the lap um and yeah i I find it fascinating
0: Mm. really did yeah it is it is a brilliant read um so a couple of other things i want to highlight um we have started a new series of features called eyewitnessed um and we've published three or four of them now um i think it's four and do you want to just briefly explain what Eyewitness is all about
1: yeah well we we thought didn't we that we have such an amazing stable of writers waiting for us who have seen so much happen um in all areas of motoring be it the industry or the sport or whatever um and we sort of had a bit of a chat between us and we realized that so much had gone on which we we'd seen ourselves which we'd actually been at um and so that's why we called it it's a, it's a slightly sort of you know cheesy pun but that's why we're calling it eyewitness because so these are stories by our own in-house contributors or or ourselves of stuff that we actually saw ourselves with our own eyes we didn't report upon it we were there um and you know so it's not sort of second hand um and it's a fascinating series um you know i think it's just a, it's what you're saying it's just a nice idea and i think it's you know more stuff that you know you're not going to get to read anywhere else
0: yeah, so The first one was uh, Karun Chandok writing about Grosjean's crash um, in Bahrain, the fireball crash. So he was there. He was in the paddock watching alongside Damon Hill. Um, and it's, I mean, honestly, I still get shivers down my spine when I think back to that incident because it was so frightening, but then just so uplifting watching Grosjean leap out of that fireball. Um, and Chandok... Tells you what it was like to be there, which is a fairly extraordinary thing. Um, we've also got David Tuig on what he d- what he calls Gone Day," which was when, in the late nineties, I believe, when Nissan was in dire financial straits, um, and Carlos Ghosn had come in. Um, he'd spent months just sort of a- assessing, analyzing the business, and in one video conference to one hundred and thirty odd thousand Nissan employees he explained how he's going to turn it around and that involved closing five plants sadly cutting twenty six thousand jobs um so a a very brutal day that's like firing everybody in a
1: reasonably sized town in the uk
0: it's a lot of people gone isn't it yeah but But it
1: turns it turned nissan from a total basket case that nobody thought was going to survive um you know, into a massively profitable, you know, corporation, which, you know, and there's the alliance with Renault. And it's been, it's it was the most, one of the most amazing corporate turn- turnarounds in, you know, automotive history. Mm.
0: Yeah. So that's Eyewitness. There are others um, and many more to come as well. Keep an eye on them. If you go to the website, <clears throat> you can actually um, select just um, Eyewitness articles. Uh, so you can see them all there in one place. Um, Let's also talk about a piece Peter Robinson wrote called The Birth of the Quattro, which is fairly self-explanatory, isn't it? But he's gone to talk to a chap called Jörg Bensinger, who really is the father of the Quattro. It was him who first had this idea of inserting a four-wheel drive system into a high-performance road car. Um, And he tells Robbo how it happened working with Ferdinand Pieck, working with the designers and other, other engineers, how they brought this, Quattro, this Audi Quattro to life um, and built one of the iconic performance cars. Uh, it's, it's a great tale.
1: Yeah, and, and also at the beginning, how it was all done without the knowledge of Volkswagen, which was yeah. ultimately paying for it. It was a sort of, you know, undercover skunk works weekend project um, that turned into the most, well, iconic and important sports car of its decade.
0: And it's uh, an insight into Ferdinand Pieck as well, isn't it? Um, yeah. A titan of the car industry, an extraordinary character, and this reveals a fair amount about him. Okay, the last one I want to talk about, and actually I want to talk about this car as well, because the embargo's lifted, we can talk about it. You can tell us all about the Ferrari Daytona SP3.
1: Yeah, uh, full review on the uh, on the website. Now, um, it's a different sort of car. Um it is a car i think ultimately that you know it's not like uh this is ferrari's next la ferrari or enzo which were you know sort of ultimate performance car um it's massively expensive it's two million euros um and they've made what 599 and they're all sold and blah um it's probably even though it is powered by the most powerful v12 engine ferrari have ever produced and put into either a road car or indeed a racing car because i look back to the outputs of the formula one three and a half liter and they didn't have 829 horsepower um it's actually it's one of those cars where <sighs> the driving experience is great uh, but it's not about how fast you can go it's about the purity of the driving experience and the way the thing looks and i drove it um on the roads around Lamar at the time of the Lamar Classic. And I've never received more attention driving anything anywhere in my entire life. It was absolutely extraordinary. I mean, the car looks incredible. And I'm not going to bang on about appearances on this podcast because I'm no better judge of than, them than, than anybody else. Um, but it was, I, w- I was very struck by the attention that it got. Um, and I think that's why people buy those sorts of cars. Um, you know, Basically, it's the tub of a LaFerrari modified to take the engine of an 812 Competizione um, in a carbon fibre body, um, which is absolutely gorgeous. You know, what's not to like? Uh, well, it costs $2 million and you can't have one. But other than that, um, yeah, I mean, fascinating car. Uh, I still think that there is room for Ferrari to do its what is mclaren f1 A super light um just to show what it can be done um pure pure driving machine i think that car is still out there maybe that's what the uh, the sp4 will be like i've no idea but um you know amazing thing to go and do amazing car to go and drive
0: um let's just talk briefly about this Icona series because they are relatively likely re-engineered versions of existing ferraris built in strictly limited numbers with yeah Eye-watering, eye-watering seven-figure price tags so yep. they they generate well this um how many sp3s are they building it's 499 599 five, it? five, 599 nine. so that's gonna...
1: so, so, so that's 99 more or 100 more than they made la Ferraris. and okay yeah there's been a bit of inflation but it costs basically twice as much
0: yeah <laughs> and, it, and,
1: and it doesn't is... have a hybrid system and it's still using a la ferrari tab yeah that is amazing. And it's going to generate, and they're all pre-sold. They all just went.
0: Yeah, and it will generate a billion euros in revenue mm. for a car that had basically already been engineered.
1: Yeah, it's good business Clever. you can get it. Um, and there will be people who are thinking it's a ridiculous car. It's you know how could you possibly spend that amount of money on it? Um, what well, you know, it's just stupid. But you know, QED, people want them. Mm. There are you know, Ferrari found five hundred ninety nine. I suspect there were rather more um people who wanted that and you cannot blame a car manufacturer for building the cars its customers want that's their business you know they've got shareholders who they're accountable to um you know you might not be as impressed with it as something you know more mainstream uh, which has got all sorts of other challenges um to face and to overcome But what you can't say, I don't think, is that it's a waste of money. Because by definition, it's not because they have found that amount of people um, to spend that money on them.
0: It's extraordinary business. Yeah, fair play to Ferrari. Um, Okay, that's the the Daytona SP3. You can read Andrew's full review. It's a beautifully written piece, a long one as well. I think it's two and a half thousand words or something. It's on the app. It's on the website, the-intercooler.com. Go and have a look. Uh, okay, right, so we said this episode was going to be about £20,000 cars, and yeah. just sort of looking at how much interesting stuff you can actually buy for twenty grand or less, um, yeah. so let's get stuck into I, it. I, I think we should be doing
1: more of this stuff. I mean, it's, it, it's fine me, you know, waxing lyrical about £2 million Ferraris and, and that sort of thing, but actually, um, this stuff interests me more. I mean, you know, I I, I spend a terrifying amount of time just going through classifieds and just gazing over the stuff and thinking, you know, because I probably could if I, you know, if I want, I could probably go and spend twenty thousand pounds on a car. And so it then comes down to: is it a good idea? What are you going to do with it? Where are you going to keep it? Who's going to look after it? Um, so yeah, this is kind of heartland for me, and I suspect it is for an awful lot of people listening to this.
0: Yeah, I've found it really enjoyable <clears throat> searching through, and it's amazing what you can get for that money. However, yeah. <laughs> some of the cars I've pulled out, their potential to present you with an enormous, comfortably five-figure bill is yeah. f- fairly extraordinary. So I, it might Five, be 000. that this is, you know, if you have thirty or £40,000 to spend on a car, spend half that and keep some in reserve. Um, because I suspect if you sink all of your cash or you borrow a load of money to buy one of the cars on my list... Um sadly, you will just be worried the whole time, or a bill will come in, and just like that, all the enjoyment of i don 't know having some exotic car or um something with a beautiful engine that enjoyment has is gone hasn 't it
1: yeah, and also you know having to explain to your other half why you 're <laughs> six thousand pounds
0: poorer than you were this morning
1: i 've done that it 's not much fun,
0: <laughs> okay, well, should we let's start in the sort of more this more sensible end of uh the spectrum here um yeah what uh, what hot hatch have you pulled oh out? i'm gonna be so boring and predictable
1: you know exactly what i'm gonna say it's a it's a late Golf mark 7 gti or it's a yeah. 2015 2016 civic type r uh depending on what if you want to drive get the civic if you want something to do everything get the Golf i mean to me that is an absolute slam dunk no brand and actually possibly unlike you i've tried to keep my choices slightly real world in oh that, good you, i've gone you know, the other way if you buy if you buy very carefully um you know you, you stand a reasonable chance of not having a nightmare um
0: this is how we should do it when we do this in future one of us should be vaguely sensible Captain sensible yeah the other one should just be out there just okay, to kind I'll of demonstrate.
1: Captain, yeah, I'll be captain sensible because I'm 20 years older than you. <laughs>
0: okay, all right. Well, I'm going to spend 17,000 pounds on a 2004 <laughs> Alfa Romeo 147 GTA. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> what could possibly? 56,000 miles. Um yeah. it's had yeah, the one I uh, there are quite a few out there for under 20 grand actually. Um this one's had a little bit of modifications. Polybush, Bilstein coil-overs, and it's got a Quaife diff. I've actually not driven one of these. I know you will have done. Are they yeah. basically fairly terrible apart from the engine?
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think, I, I think, I think that's something. I mean, and the point being fairly. They're not awful. They're not absolutely ghastly. Yeah. Terrible terribles, yeah. probably. They are, I'd not say say slightly disappointing, but expectations weren't that high, to be honest with you. They are... Yeah, they're just a bit rubbish. Mm. Apart from the engine. <laughs> yeah. Um But
0: but what an engine. Oh absolutely.
1: Yeah. I mean it's it's it's, it's a great choice. Um but <laughs> Yeah, yeah so rather they, you than me, mate.
0: They have that wonderful three point two Alpha V six, about two hundred and fifty horsepower. Um yeah. a very pretty looking engine and a very pretty looking yeah. car. Um but yeah, perhaps not the last word in dynamics. Well what about then, just as an alternative? A Mark One Focus R S.
1: Yes. All day long.
0: <laughs> good call. So a lot of them have been modified now. Which yeah, seems a pity. That's the problem, but, isn't it? Yeah. Just finding a good one. This one is it I believe it's standard. Um well serviced, lots of history. Um does look really good. Seventy seven thousand miles, nineteen grand uh i think they look so cool i i'm not sure there's a better looking hot hatch than that um but also
1: they were fantastic to drive
0: yeah
1: and also i haven't heard you know too many horror stories about them i would probably try and even if you went to had to go to i don't know 22 23 i would probably try to get one that's done slightly fewer miles than that but maybe it would Mm. probably be all right at 77 um you know, and I also think that that is possibly unlike your one four seven GTA. I think that that is a car which will look after you over time. I can't see those cars ever being lo- if, if they're good cars. Yeah, if they're good examples, and that is the crucial thing with these: is you've got to get good examples because they are so rare. And people, you know, ultimately, the market always does this, doesn't it? You know, you look at I don't know two or five GTIs or whatever. Look at the cars that are any proper money now; they're all the ones which haven't been messed about. Yeah, uh, and because so many have, you know, that makes your car not only um sort of proper and authentic but rare as well. Um and that's where the market always ends up going. So if you can do something like that, um don't buy some whizzed up thing which has been, you know, slammed and the power turned up to eleven. Just get a nice mm. you know, and the other thing is is that when people tune these cars, I'm sure some of them do it very well, but ultimately, you know, some very clever people with an awful lot of resources made that car as good as they possibly could from the start. <laughs> and and it's not often that, you know, some bloke um with a smart idea can actually improve on those standards um you know i found this one i I bought a 205 gti which had been lightly modded and everything i took off it made the car better everything (laughs) i did to it to turn it back to what it was improved the car and i don't think that's a i don't think that's a rare um experience at all so yeah good call focus mark one rs
0: yeah okay all right what are you spending your 20 grand budget on for on on a family car which way is that going
1: i'm being slight i'm not being entirely sensible here good but i just couldn't resist it e90
0: m3 ah yeah very interesting not sensible (laughs) cool car though cool
1: car and you know i might, might be stretching the family thing a bit but you know there's quite a lot of room in the back of those yeah for you know a young kid or two decent sized boot I, can't, I, I I'm buying an engine, aren't I? I'm, getting, I'm buying an engine with a car thrown in, mm. free of charge, but um, yeah, that 4-litre V8 is just absolutely monstrous, and again, you'd have to buy so carefully, wouldn't you, and you'd have to really check through the history, and you'd have to know all about the foibles with those cars, which yeah. they have. They um, yeah, have, yeah. But, yeah, um, but funnily enough, when they were new, I wasn't that knocked out of them by them, because mm. I guess they'd followed the E46, which was and remains um the icon i suspect you've got an e46 on your list or or, or you would have thought about it because mm, that's the it. kind of that's the kind of obvious choice isn't it but i was trying to having come up with the Golf gti thinking well for this next one it won't be entirely yeah. obvious and i just thought i don't know you can get a slightly newer car um and yeah there's just as a, as more of a sort of classic fun thing to have rather than a sort of daily driver um yeah, smoking around in an a E90, maybe literally smoking around in the <laughs> E90, uh, just struck me as being a, a a fun thing to do.
0: Absolutely. Okay, I've got a couple of family car options, um, mm. not entirely sensible, but sixteen and a half grand on an early, so it's a 2009 Porsche Panamera V8, four-wheel drive. <laughs> Brave.
1: Is that what? Is that no?
0: I'm just. I'm. A, you can get them for that, can you? <laughs> yeah. I was amazed. 16 and 93,000 oh, miles. Fair it's done play. a bit of distance. But that's a that's a 400 horsepower V8. Do you know what? On the launch, I remember driving a rear drive manual V8 Panamera. But they they clearly sold about four because you just can't find one anywhere. Um, yeah, But that would be a hell of a car. Even this would be a hell of a car. Four wheel drive, PDK, V8. Wouldn't you, you pay do
1: for a turbo? I'd just want a turbo. If I, if I was going to go down that road, I'd just want a I turbo, just, I just because I can just remember how bonkers those cars are. Yeah. I can remember doing a twin test with that and an Aston Rapide. Um, Aston didn't see which way it went.
0: Mm. Yeah, it wouldn't. Yeah, I I do wonder how these, the, the Panamera is ageing. Do you think it would still feel good inside? Do you think it would still be quiet and ride well and feel robust it should do shouldn't it
1: I don't think they ever rode that well did they Um, yeah I think they still feel robust Um, (laughs) I think it'll still be hideously ugly as well Um, well yeah there is that yeah no I think it it would be again get a nice one I think it'd be fine I think that's actually I think that's quite a good left field choice actually
0: yeah okay I've got one more um, and this is actually less appealing to me than the Panamera Um, Mercedes CLS uh, C63 AMG so it's got that stonking 6.2 AMG engine. Um, it's the, they call it a coupe. It's not a coupe. It's a four-door saloon, really, isn't it? Um, but it's that sleek, elegant-looking thing with a storming V8. I just quite fancy, yeah, again, if I was it's gonna the get the one of
1: those, If I was going to get one of those, I'd get the shooting brake. Um, yeah. If you could find one. There's, I mean, they, the CLS shooting brake was just one of those weird things. Basically, what you get is you get the style of a CLS with the practicality of an E-Class wagon. Mm. And when it came out, I just thought, well, this, this thing's going to take over the world because it's just the best of both worlds. It looks amazing. It's got huge amounts of space in it. They're going to sell billions. It tanked. Yeah, Which just goes to show how much I know about stuff. <laughs> they, couldn't shift them, they couldn't shift them for a lot more money, and they, and, and they canned it. I just thought it was... Actually, I ran a diesel um, as a long term for autocar years back um, and absolutely loved it. Um, and if I was going to go down that road, if I could find one, um i get a wagon because i think it's at least as good looking at the coupe possibly better and just so much more usable but i think i'm thinking too much with my sort of you know practical what do you do with it rather than what it looks like kind of head on and i think i guess there are people who just don't like the idea of you know a wagon when they can have a coupe and i also think it works the other way because you know on the one hand yes it is um you know a car which looks like a coupe and has got practical space like a wagon you could also say it's got less space in it than um than the wagon which it does uh and it's priced like the coupe so i don't know Mm. but i'd definitely get a a shooting break i was going to get one of those but yeah good call that actually does slightly scuff on me on one of the later categories because i do have another car which might have the same engine in
0: it oh good well i thought we might do i mean i just had to find something with that engine in my list would have been incomplete without that engine um okay do you want to choose a category
1: Uh, Well, can we do estate cars? Because that's where my uh, C63 comes in. Yeah, okay. There you go. Yeah, Yeah. I'm into that. So you can get an early C63, which will have have the 6.2 in it. Uh, Quite a not particularly grunty version of it. But still, you know, 457 horsepower in a C-class. I mean, I can remember at the time. The only problem with those things is they've got a fuel tank designed for a two-litre diesel engine. Oh, um so basically you're stopping every 10 minutes to drop another load of um, petrol in it which you know the prices they are today is probably not going to be an awful lot of fun but um great looking car really good fun to drive awesome stonking engine mm. um you know of those cars of that era you know the a4 avant the three series touring um the c-class was far and away the most practical had the most space in it, really? the biggest boot yeah um so you can actually use it. I mean, it's not like an e class it's not a or a Volvo it's not some cavernous you know thing, but it's um it's a really really good family hack um I, when they came out, I absolutely adored those um yeah, i
0: bet it would still stack up yeah, yeah, that's very cool i'd yeah I'd be tempted by one of those um okay, I don't have an estate car, so I'm gonna move it on to coupes. Um, we did an episode all about Maserati last week and we mentioned the Gran Turismo neither oh, of us God. <laughs> neither of us particularly like that car but when you see one for 18 grand with yeah. 39,000 miles I still don't want it and it looks fantastic and well, it's I still a Maserati want it. and it's got I that still brilliant, want it. for, it's got that brilliant V8 engine um yeah and you still don't want it no i know that's fair enough i but i can imagine thoroughly
1: enjoying okay. if they gave it to you okay it yeah. cost you nothing at all okay but, you, or, but they gave it to you on condition that you couldn't sell it and just take the money okay would you want it
0: yes if it's free
1: yeah i know it's free <laughs> but it's still it's still a slightly would you not just be thinking there are so many other cars that are better than this would it not just annoy you every time you got into it?
0: Uh, well, this is what I'm intrigued by because I think I could enjoy it and not care that it was a bit baggy, not care that the gearbox was a bit rubbish, not care that it felt a little bit flaky because I'm in a V8 Maserati and I think oh, they would be n-
1: It would annoy me every time. Really? I just, I would, what, it's one of those cars where you dro- where, where, where I would drive it and actually I'd be completely unfair on it because I wouldn't be thinking about it. I would, just be, you know, I would be focusing on all the things that it did wrong. And I wouldn't be focusing yeah. on the things that it got right, which is totally unfair, but it would just
0: be with a car like that the way my mind would work. The, the potential for, for a Gran Turismo to just ruin your life yeah. with a terrible bill is fairly large. It's, it, it, well, it just would happen. So this particular car, um, in 2018 alone, had more than £9,000 spent on it. <laughs> Presumably all stuff that needed doing and this one the the vendor is very honest apparently two bad points suspension light is on at the start it is a little stiff then after a little drive it comes back to normal but the light stays on so that's a big problem
1: run run (laughs) as fast as you can
0: in the other direction the other issue is that the media player has issues as it just says the Maserati logo
1: that's all it does um, that sounds like it might need a code or something that might be quite an easy fix or it might not be (laughs) who knows I wouldn't want to find out.
0: no so yeah okay I didn't think I'd be able to persuade you on that one but honestly I look at them and I just think they're so cool okay if I was going to have a coupe um,
1: I wouldn't even need to spend £20,000 or anything close to it I'd get a 370Z Nissan oh nice
0: yeah tough
1: tough fun slides sideways Mm. cracking v6 motor i like the way they look um you know okay not a cayman but a fraction of the price of a cayman um and not a fraction of the fun Mm. i
0: wonder if you could get a nismo are they down to that they might be don't know didn't look it up i think they arrived a good 10 years ago so probably and they were good to drive they were fantastic to drive um okay I want a sports car now. I'm going to offer you a sports car, and I think I have to confess that I'm probably six months, maybe a year early to these, because mm. on all of Auto Trader there are two F types below twenty grand. One was some sort of write-off, but this one, 56,000 miles. It's the baby V6, so the lower-powered V6, which is still yep. what is that? Still three hundred and forty horsepower. It's a coupe, um, and it's got service history. Slightly concerning, there's only one key, and it's had more than five owners. And the wheels need a refurb. Mm. Mm. So So, this is
1: well, that and I mean that just means the car's not been looked after, doesn't it?
0: It does it does it's been, um, it's been
1: you know, if the wheels need refurb, that means it's been bounced off curve. people haven't cared about it load of
0: owners and you know and the key's gone missing at some stage yeah so i think yeah. give it give it six months give it a year and hopefully there'll be better cared for examples just starting to dip under that 20 grand barrier but and you'd you, ideally you'd want the v6s which had a bit more power um mm-hmm. but 20 grand f-type they're not i don't think they're quite there yet but they're getting there that's an interesting price, but, but,
1: but what do you pay for a, an early DB9? It's probably Oof. not much more than that, is it?
0: Probably not, but the its bill potential would be far greater. I yeah, think I would rather have the Jag.
1: I'd have, I'd, I'd have the Aston six would litre you? V12 engine. I, those oh, looks. I know.
0: I know. Yeah, yeah. I, I like the Jag though. I think they're they're good to drive. They look great. Um, they're not quite there yet, but they're, they're not too far off. Um, okay. Right. Can I, do a slightly,
1: <laughs> can I do a slightly different one?
0: You can, and then I'm going to give you uh, my I, I, riskiest one of all.
1: Okay, so I'm, I'm starting to get... I mean, I'm glad I've got a catering tucked away, because otherwise I might have to do something about this. I'm starting to get a serious thing about Series 1 Elise's. Aha! Uh-huh. I just think they're fantastic. I just think mm. they are. I drove one recently. In fact, when they made the last Elise... Um, i went and drove the first and the last so i drove an original absolutely bog stand 118 horsepower k series of lees and you know the last of the last whatever they called that run out um cup series thing i couldn't believe um how close just in terms of the enjoyment he gave And in many ways in some ways it was actually more enjoyable because it was you know obviously that much lighter and purer and everything else but it just made me realise, you know, however good we thought it was in whenever it came out in 96, 97, actually, it's even more extraordinary now. Be- I mean, they just... What is it about them? It's just the way they feel. They are such thoroughbred cars. They are so pure in the way they respond to you. You just get in it and you just feel instantly home. You are so aware that you are driving something really, really special. And again, you know, Captain Sensible here, I have been thinking about, you know, long-term values and maintenance costs and that sort of thing. They don't cost much to run. Um, And, you know, you can buy, you know, a nice series one of these for less than £20,000 now. I can't see it ever being worth less than that. Um, I think they're cracking buys. Um, And I say, I'm very glad I got the coat because otherwise, honestly, I think I'm going to do it.
0: And let's not forget that the S1 Elise is a Julian Thompson design. The F-Type, we've just been talking about, is a Callum design, Ian Callum. Um, Yeah. Both of those guys... As as, as is a DB9. As is a DB9. And both of those guys are now part of the TI writing team. That's good. That makes me feel proud. Um, Okay, so as a counterpoint to your Series 1 Elise... um, Oh, God. We'll call them lightweight sports cars. Yeah, there's... 20 grand doesn't actually go that far on a K trim these days.
1: No. no.
0: Not really. I, I, I can tell you that from experience. <laughs> you can. So instead, I, I looked at Westfields um, and I found <laughs> one particularly intriguing car, um, an S8, 2004, um, with a V8 in it. And I wondered yeah. what, what on earth is that V8? Um, it's a probably V8. Know, exactly it is a rover well, I mean,
1: I, well yeah um yes I, I do know um i fell out with westfield when i was when i was a young lad um because i drove one of their cars and said something not particularly complimentary about it um and i was somewhere was i silverstone something like that, doing something uh, and they were there and they came up to me and someone told me that i was never going to drive a westfield again and actually they were completely right because <laughs> i haven't um, we did have a westfield a v8 westfield in on test it caught fire good i wasn't in it at the time um but there was a carb fire i mean not a serious thing the car didn't burn out but it, it was i think it certainly got the attention of the driver mm. i just don't know enough about westfield i know that you know when i was driving them which was 30 years ago they just weren't as good as caterers um and i don't really know because i literally haven't driven one since whether that's a a smart idea or not um mm. It might be. I mean, you know, think about it. You know, small, light, you know, massive alloy V8 engine in it. I, You know, it it would be interesting.
0: It would. I I was intrigued by it because, I mean, really, that is the wrong engine, isn't it, for a little lightweight 7-type car? Because you want something smaller and really picky and buzzy, like a a Revy 4-pot. Don't you, ideally but i was yeah
1: but you probably do because i think actually if you're going to go down that road um you just get a tvr wouldn't you and you could probably get a chimera couldn't you probably get a four liter chimera for 20 grand yeah yeah. And that's not a bad shot Um, because the thing about tvrs is you know these days cars like that you know before they put the the ridiculous al melling engine in them is that you know, they probably weren't that well built at the time. But what that means is that everything that was going to fall off and will have fallen off them by now and been put back by someone who knew what they were doing. Um, so actually, although when I last drove one, I was amazed by how old it felt. It felt vintage. Yeah. It felt Honestly, it felt closer to an Austin Healey than a modern car. Mm. But for a certain sort of person and for a certain sort of, you know, not particularly demanding drive great fun why am i talking about tvrs um well because i haven't driven a westfield that's why so and you asked about the engine and that sort of thing, and that, v, and, and that v8 which is exactly the same motor works so brilliantly well in a tvr every time you drive a tvr which doesn't have that engine in it you kind of find yourself thinking well i'd just rather have this big lazy buick v8 in it um yeah so yeah so actually you know having think of, having thought about it um a four-litre Camaro, because I don't think you'd get a 500 or a 4.3, but uh, an early Camaro would be, and you wouldn't get a Griff, I don't think, but, you know, that'd be a good shot. Mm.
0: Okay, let me give you one more, which is Total Fantasyland, which has got yeah. no potential like few other cars on the more, used more market. Than a, more than a Gran Turismo Maserati? I think so. I think so. <laughs> and you can you can buy them far cheaper than Do you know what? This, so
1: just, just before you do it, can we do another podcast of just cars... You shouldn't buy wonderful yes. cars, which are going to get you into so much trouble. Yeah, you know, so we can do that. Sort of, I don't know, fire sale Lamborghini Countach. <laughs> or, you yeah. know, just, just think, how, what, what car is going to give you more grief? What car are you going to regret buying more than any other in the whole wide world? We'll just do a podcast about them.
0: We should. I mean, but the thing, people do buy these cars. Someone buys them, and some people must have a good experience doing it yes potentially i don't know yes you
1: always get the lucky ones
0: don't you yeah yeah there'll be some yeah. out there but you just won't know who you won't know which car is the lucky one will you so it's... yeah i did
1: fifty thousand miles on my fire damaged kountas it never yeah. went wrong. it's not a conversation you have very often but you know i'm not <laughs> I've saying not it's not never happened
0: <laughs> uh, okay so you can get them cheaper than this um but i've tried to find one that looks fairly sensible that hasn't done too many miles um and Actually, it's very easy to find early flying spuds for under twenty grand. Bentley flying cold. spuds. Um, do you know, I think that's a great. I think that's a great I've never it. A flying spud before. <laughs> but I'd, I'd rather have a Continental GT. I don't
1: think that's silly at all. I think that's a great idea.
0: So I found I think one. That's a fantastic idea. A fiver short of twenty grand. It's done fifty-seven thousand yeah. miles um yep. of course it is the w12 because it's an early car um but that would be pretty special wouldn't it oh do you know what i can remember doing a
1: group test uh it was a second-hand group test thing that i did uh, for auto car and what do we have down there we had a lamborghini gallardo um we had something else italian it might have been a ferrari anyway we had, we, we had a load of cars and there was going to be a continental gt there um and at the last moment whoever it was who was supplying this continental gt rang up and said oh i'm terribly sorry we just sold the car and i went you bastard you know you're meant to be here with the car now um have you got anything else and they went well no we haven't we've we done you've got no continental simply said we've got one but it's just coming in it's a complete mess and i said we'll have it yeah. Um, and he said, well, this car's come in, it's done a bazillion miles, it's bounced off every kerb in London because the wheels are ruined, um, I can't vouch for it at all, I know nothing about it at all. I said, look, you know, we haven't got a story unless you bring it down. So we turned up in this thing. It looked, I think we could only photograph it from one side because it had such a horrible life. It drove beautifully. It just felt so much tighter and taut and together than anything else we had there. And yeah, there's probably nothing else which makes me realise just how well-built those cars are. Mm. They're just... Oh, I was about to say Bomb proof, Clearly, they're not. And I'm not saying for a moment you couldn't get a terrifying bill out of one of them. But I just thought, actually, if I was going to get one of these cars, that's what I would get. Just because I'd back it more. I'd worry about it less than anything else that that kind of money would buy when you're talking about that kind of car.
0: Because there's a lot of VW underneath. A lot. Well, an enormous amount, yes. Yeah yeah so it it should be okay but i've done a little bit of reading up on them um and one of the buying guides i read said that head gaskets shouldn't fail but they have been known to and the trouble is with this engine that is an engine out job um and this particular buying guide puts the bill at potentially 15 grand which is almost the value of the car itself um so yeah i can write off the car but but
1: when they say you know head gaskets have been known to go and there's not a car in the world who hasn't had a yeah. that has been known to go so what you need to know is whether that's a problem or not whether that is a mm. known problem whether it's like a you know an intermediate shaft on a on a 996 you know if it's a known problem and basically it's gonna happen then you need to factor out if it's something which or oh, you know has happened um you know, to an unspecified number of cars, you know, let's face it, you know, they were making, you know, certain years they were making 10,000 of these cars a year. So, they I mean, there are probably, a, you know, between 100 000 and 200,000 cars out there. If it's happened to three of them,
0: yeah, you're probably going to be okay, aren't you? Mm. Yeah. So, that's what you need to know. Quite right. Yeah, just a little bit of research will make all the difference, won't it? But yeah. that is an I awful mean,
1: lot of car. I mean, what will be expensive is just basic maintenance. You know, you need a yeah. new set of discs and pads. That's going to be a lot of money. You need a new exhaust. That's going to be a lot of money. That sort of thing is going to cost. Mm. Um, but as you say, there's so much Volkswagen engineering in them. And because they're Bentley built, they're built to a fantastically high standard. Um, yeah, I think, you know, I think... And also, you know, they're good cars for, for their era, Um mm you know they don't handle brilliantly well because the weight's in the wrong place but they're you know very fast uh you know 550 horsepower if you just get the standard car um i think they look great um dirt van breichel was the designer of that and yeah beautifully mm. put together i mean nothing like as ridiculous a choice as a grand has maserati in my <laughs> book
0: <laughs> good well there we go maybe i'll have to do it after all um so the 20 grand cars be interested to know what you all think um of a which way your 20 grand would go but we'll do it again we'll pick a different price point um we won't go bananas with the price point but we'll pick something else and yeah we'll both go and hunt out some intriguing buys um for that budget it's good fun isn't it yeah it um, is okay all right well thank you for listening everybody thank you to jbr capital for uh sponsoring the podcast Please go and check out JBR Capital if you're looking to buy a used car or a new car. Let's see what they can do for you on the finance side. There'll be um, contact details in the description below. Please also rate and review the podcast. Rate and review the podcast, please. I'm going to keep banging that drum because it's really important. That's how we find new listeners. Please also subscribe and follow wherever you listen to um, the podcast. And... Actually, we're not going to do a listener question this week because it's been a very Boom. packed episode. We'll bring well, it can't back. We? We'll bring it back next week. Uh, I promise. All right, promise. Um, but there we go. Yeah, I do. And thanks for listening. We will be back next week with a listener question. I promise. Look forward to it.